Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacists who care. And good morning to you. My name is Kathy Kayla, and uh, thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host for the next hour for this Discam Medical Monday program. You know, it's a multi, multi billion dollar industry. In fact, it is one of the biggest industries uh, in the world today. And uh, talking about aging, how often do you think about aging? I think one of the scariest things about aging is that uh, inside I still feel like I'm in my 20s. It's the outside that is uh, is giving it all away, that I'm not in my 20s. So uh, I wanted to talk about aging, talking about what actually happens in the body helping us to understand how we age and the things that we can do to optimize our health and stay younger. Joining me is a guy who looks like he's in his 20s. Um, He's actually not in his 20s. He is a neurovascular practitioner. He's a health educator. He has trained some of the world's top sports people. He has consulted to the Chinese Olympic team um, in Beijing, who actually won the Olympics that year. And uh, I'm very, very pleased to welcome Richard Sutton mm. Hi, to Hi, Kurt. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming back. Oh, I'm so happy I didn't scare you off. Love it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite environment. <laughs> Thanks again. So, you know, you said um, it's it's big business and uh, it's, it's bigger than big business. According to BCC Research, the total market for anti-aging products and services is valued. It will be valued in 2018 at 345.8 billion U.S. dollars. I wasn't and if, kidding. And you weren't. And for those who are looking for an investment opportunity, the compound annual growth rate is 5.7%. So it is seriously big business. But it's, it's not just beauty. I mean, that, that's No, it's all anti, every, everything to do with the aging process. And supplements is a big part of it. And, and therapies are another part of it. And technologies, medical technologies are another part of it. So it's very expensive. But this this new, this this wave is not a new thing. I mean, if you go back to all the ancient cultures that were looking for this Mountain of youth. They were looking for something. Patrash used to bathe in milk, right? Absolutely. Just looking for solutions in terms of vitality and health and youthfulness. And as history has shown us, nothing really changed. I mean, we didn't find the fountain of youth and, and we weren't able to arrest the aging process. But I think you found the fountain uh, of youth. <laughs> no, I think you too, kind. It's not, not quite. But, um, you know, uh, the, the interesting thing is that uh, according to a uh, 2007 study publishing clinical interventions in aging, the limit to life expectancy is capped. We can't actually live beyond a certain point, and that point seems to be 120. Only one person in human history has actually lived beyond that point in terms of recorded data. Didn't he die recently? No, oh. no, not that person. Maybe there was another person. Oh. Maybe there was a second person. But, <laughs> <laughs> but one person that I know of, in, in, but it was a French woman. She lived to 122 years old. I think she smoked. Uh, I think she did everything that you, you shouldn't do in terms of the aging process. And, and when medical research was saying, what did you do? How did you do this? You know, was it exercise? Were you on a specific diet? And she said, God just forgot about me. So it's, it's just very interesting how we've got this, this certain cap that, that exists within us. This being said, so many more people are living beyond 100 than ever before in history. So they say right now, um, this is actually according to the journal Frontiers in Genetics. It was published about four or five years ago. Basically, one in 5,000 people will live beyond the 100 mark at this point That's in time. Incredible. 
And what's even more incredible is the prevalence of supercentenarians. So people living between 110 and 119, <laughs> they say in industrialized nations, you're looking at around one in five million living to that point uh, or, you know, kind of that lifespan. supercentenarians? Supercentenarians. Okay. Incredible. So there's way. actually been a lot of research and there's been a, a tremendous insights from supercentenarians in terms of health and aging and so on. But, uh, you know, just looking at the average, I don't think uh, most of us will ever get there. But but certainly if you look at the world average, um, it's it's been Im- improving, um, you know, decade by decade. And according to the United Nations World Population Prospects 2015 revision, the average person on the planet will live to 71.5. So that's the average life expectancy, which is far greater than ever before in history, which is quite remarkable. But certain countries definitely have an edge. And uh, one of those countries is Japan. It's always had the highest life expectancy. Average Japanese citizen is going to live to 84. I think they've got low breast cancer. They've got high. The prevalence of disease is actually a little bit low. Specific parts of Japan, um, like Okinawa, have very low rates of disease. Well, they live in the mountains. They've got fresh air. They eat fish and rice. It's very much their diet. a little bit of a genetic component. Uh, There's other factors uh, at play. But uh, remarkable, uh, the Okinawans' life expectancy is incredible. But uh, actually, was something just interesting about supercentenarians living in Okinawa. Um, so those who live between 110 and 119, there was there was a study. 83 percent of them have no ailments till the age of 105. And fully functional, no, no, no diseases, no, you know. That that's, are, that's such an important part of what we're talking about because it's one thing <clears> living to it's living. That past expensive lifestyle. But, I mean, but if life. you've got a terrible quality of life and you're sick and you're in hospital and. Is that a life worth living? It's not a life worth living. And if you look at a co- the center of disease control, they said that the average 75-year-old in the industrialized nations of the, of the, of the world will, will be suffering with three chronic medical conditions, taking five prescription medications, and not dying of natural causes. The, the predominant uh, you know, means of, of, of departure from this world is, is certainly cancers, um, heart, heart disease, heart failure, and strokes. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very different world we live in in terms of, yes, we're getting the length um, in terms of lifespan, but we certainly aren't living this, this health span. But just going back to life expectancy, you know, so Japan, remarkable, 84, but a lot of the Mediterranean countries have exceptional life expectancy. So you're looking Please. at... Cyprus in particular, oh, Cyprus. Cyprus is 82. Um, uh, the average Israel up there, 83.5, if I remember correctly. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's inc- absolutely incredible. It's a yeah, it's a hummus. Italy's got 80, the average lifespan's 83. Spain's 83. Um, you, you know, so you're seeing, you're seeing a, a tr- the Mediterranean countries have exceptional lifespan and also the Nordic countries like Iceland, uh, Sweden, Norway, also around the 82s and also the more rem- remote places on the planet like Canada, uh, New Zealand, Alaska. also in the 82s. Alaska? Alaska, I'm not sure about that. That would fall into the American uh, statistical uh. model. And the American statistical model is sub-80. So I think 79, 78. Sure. Somewhere around there. But yes, you know, so as, as I mentioned that, uh, and, and you rightly pointed out, is that it's not just about clocking in the years. And what we've also o- observed in recent times is the fact that the curves become U. So whilst life expectancy was improving, 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 we've hit a plateau. It hasn't been improving for the last decade or so. And we're starting to see a turnaround in the shape 
of the graph. And uh, there, there are some estimates are saying that, you know, this, this next generation is not going to live anywhere near as long as their parents, which is quite concerning. But certainly the current trend is not about living, you know, to 119, you know, with this, this very dysfunctional lifestyle. It's all about health span. How long can you be free of diseases? How long can you ha- maintain cognitive integrity? How long can you maintain maximum functionality? How long can you be strong and fit and healthy? And how long can you just maintain a youthful dis- disposition where you want to do things in, and participate in life? And that's really where the focus is going now, as opposed to just you want to hit that 90, hit that 100, and, and it doesn't matter how or why or when. Yeah. Richard, there's so many questions. We need to we need to take an ad. Um, Let's do that. But I want to come back and I want to ask you about the influencing factors. Absolutely. What are the things that influence oh, that's such a great our, thing. our aging? Great, great. So uh, I'm Kathy Kayla. Thank you so much for joining me for this Disco Medical Monday program. I'm speaking to Richard Sutton. He is a health educator. He's a neurovascular practitioner. He has coached some of the world's top athletes. Uh, he won't tell you, but I will tell you. He has coached uh, Tommy Haas. He has coached uh, Martina Navratilova. He was also the... Uh, I think the manager, not the manager. Athletic director. Athletic director. Thank you. For the Chinese Olympic Federation. (laughs) There we go. For the Chinese Olympic Federation for uh, Beijing. And, of course, uh, yeah, they, they won the... They won the Olympics that year. He is the guy who knows. Um, every time Richard has been on the radio, he's, uh, you know, we just get inundated with messages. If you've got any questions, we are talking about aging, then get your messages in now. How do you do it? Well, you can SMS on 34519 or you can WhatsApp on 062 1482374 get those messages in now because otherwise you're going to run out of time uh we're going to be talking all different aspects of aging you know as i was saying that one of the scariest things about aging is uh, that inside you feel 20 but it's the outside that's aging how do we you know stop that and that we actually look a little bit closer to how we feel you know what what is the impact of our mental attitude towards life on aging. We're going to be talking about that when we come back. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. All right, it is all about the cells indeed. <laughs> My name is Kathy Kayla. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the Discam Medical Monday program, and uh, I'm speaking to Richard Sutton. He is uh, he's a neurovascular practitioner. He's a health educator. This is your chance to access his wisdom and his knowledge because Richard does not take on new patients. I say that again. He does not take on new patients. So uh, if you do have questions, if you want to access him, then uh, make a note of the numbers on how you can do it. You can SMS at a cost of one rand fifty. the number 34519. Alternatively, you can WhatsApp from anywhere in the world. And you can send voice notes. You can send uh, text as well on 062 one four eight two three seven four. Richard, how much of uh, aging is genetic? Well, the first the first time I was I was 
open to from my perspective i always thought it was a genetic if if your parents live long you would live long and or, or you would be healthy sense. theoretically and the first time it was made clear to me that it's actually not about genetics it was a time magazine article entitled why dna isn't your destiny and basically they used data from something called the human genome project where you had multiple research institutions from across the world basically from 1990 to 2003 mapping our genetic material to try and identify which genes are responsible for which diseases Basically, the outcome of that extensive research or that extensive data that, that was published was such that basically, you, you know, the aging process and your health profile is actually not in your genes. And there was a 2013 review published in the journal Genetics, and it basically alluded to the fact that only or less than 25% of one's health span and lifespan is actually hereditary. Which is very interesting because now it puts so much more power in your hands. Okay, just say that again. Less than 25% of the hereditary stuff. Is your health span, Yeah. how, how healthy you're going to be in your life, and how long you're going to live. So you're in control of 75%. 75% is based on the decisions you make within, with the context within, in terms of your diet, in terms of your activity behaviors, in terms of controlling your environment or environmental factors. There were three genes, however, that were identified to influence the aging process positively. The first was FOXO3. So anything we can do to activate FOXO3 will promote health span, will promote youthfulness, will promote vitality. And we, there are things that we can. And so I'm going to expound on that. If FOX03. Okay. FOX03. Okay. And then there was specific points on our third chromosome. And there was uh, something called APOE. Those were the three genes that were identified in terms of the promotion of health span and, and, and vitality. And there are, there are certain activities, certain factors that can actually upregulate them, which are, as I said, I'm going to expound on. Now, if you want to really understand the aging process, you've got to go into our body, into our biology, and you have to understand cells. So the human body contains 37 to 100 trillion cells, and these cells are active. They're being replicated, they're being removed, they're being replaced, they're being regenerated, they're responding to what's going on around what them, they're factory. communicating, they're just, they're busy, and they, and they're very, yeah, there's, there's a lot of activity, should I say. Now, up until recently, it was a very, it was a, a challenge to understand how, what the age of any part of our body is, what the age of our cells are. We didn't really know how to determine this effectively. But it was a team at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, headed up by Jonas Friesen, who's one of the top molecular biologists and is actually one of the top stem cell experts in the world. And he discovered during biopsies that any part, so if I take you know, a tissue sample from you, uh, from myself, from uh, other people in the office, we'd find that no one is older than 7 to 10 years old. So every single cell in the body, on average, if we do a, you know, take a sample from any individual, is only 7 to 10 years that's that's the effective life of the body that we we live in to just it's expound fascinating. The, it's fascinating it's fascinating so to expound on that so we have 9000 taste buds on our tongue which are replicated or replaced every single 10 to 14 days they're exposed to very hostile environments acids and, and a variety of different other compounds uh, the liver is replaced every single uh, five month period you've got a brand new liver eyebrows and lashes every six to eight weeks you've got a new set of eyebrows and eyelashes really uh, absolutely 
brand new set. Uh, males, in terms of hair, three years, completely new hair, uh, set of hair. I mean, I wish I had a little bit more, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> females, every six years, new set of hair. Surface of the gut, it gets really exposed to a hostile environment, a lot of inflammation on the surface of the gut. So every five days, you've got to get a new surface uh, or a lining of the gut. Okay, You're, so hold on a second. So how is it that people, uh, if it's regenerating every five days, how is it that possible that people get ulcers? That is such a good question. I'm, I'm going to basically so cover that. Get are we going to get that? It's okay. such a great question. Okay, so well, ulcers are something something a little bit different. There's a bacteria involved in the ulcer, but uh, but that is a great point you raise, and I'm going to actually get to that point. So the the bottom line is that every single tissue in the body has a particular cell regeneration renewal cycle. So it's your eyes, it's your skin, it's everything, with the exception of three areas of the body, and one is the eyes. Okay, it has very mm. limited regenerative potential. The heart is another region which has limited regenerative potential. Your heart can only regenerate two or three times in your lifetime. Whereas if you look at an immune cell, you know, oh. so a cell that, that's responsible for combating microorganisms, every two to three days we've got an entire set of immune cells that have been replicated, regenerated. Certain regions of the brain, like the cerebellum, don't regenerate at all. So at three years old, they're fully formed, and that's it. So you damage them, they're permanently damaged. Where's the cerebellum? The cerebellum's, well, it's not so much where what it is. It? What is it? It's, respo- it's a region responsible for coordination, for speech. Uh, you know, so that's, that's principally what the cerebellum does. Posture balance. Um, some of the the older cells in the brain, like the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory and and, and certain aspects along that channel, um, actually only get replaced by one point five percent annually. So basically, every fifty years, you would get a full hippocampus uh, replacement. So certain areas of the brain do regenerate, and certainly uh, can grow and expand. And certain areas of the brain can't, and you've got to look after. The bottom line: the areas that that uh, need to, that don't regenerate, you've got to spend you know a little bit more care and effort or, or, t- or certainly a focus a little bit more on in terms of protection. Our eyes and uh, the screens that we're looking at on a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, our heart, sometimes we're training sick and it can be damaging to the heart or we overtrain, it can be damaging to the heart or stress is damaging to the heart and unfortunately we have that limited regenerative capacity and our brain, you know, so many things in our environment can actually negatively affect our brain. So here you've got the cycle of regeneration. The problem is that you have a finite capacity to regenerate those areas. So it can only regenerate so many times in your lifetime which i'm going to get to so the so, question so just to just to sum up it's <clears throat> eyes heart and cerebellum those are the three areas that your body will not automatically regenerate that have limited regenerate very okay, limited, limited regenerative capacity but there are areas like the liver i mean if you abuse your liver your liver will come back fighting and strong it's the most remarkable thing you know the surface of the skin also every two to four weeks you've got a brand new you know so you're getting sunburned surface of the skin is is completely replaced so there's certain areas that are far more re- robust and resilient but uh, you know, there are areas you've got to look after but there, now to get to the question that you asked is why do we age now there's 300 theories on that some of them are unbelievable you know they've got a lot of science to to substantiate the theories and some of them are uh, a little dodgy to say the least i've heard some really ridiculous theories but if i were to summarize or or define what is aging and why does aging occur it's basically the time dependent accumulation of cellular damage so basically our cells get damaged over time but there's two popular streams so basically the one of the models is saying that You've got cellular error, th- you know, and cellular error theory. So basically, you know, your cells get damaged in certain ways and they stop uh, interacting, and uh, which I'll explain in in a bit. And the other theory is we've got a biological clock, and at this end of this clock, once the time runs out, that that's pretty much us. We hit the one twenty, and and we're done. 
But there's eight principal reasons why we age. So within those two models, there are eight principal reasons. So the first is that there's decreased stability of proteins within our cells. So the cells lose their structure as we age. Now, there's certain things we can do to actually increase stability and increase the integrity of the structure within our cells, which I'll explain. You've also got deregulated nutrient sensing. So basically, our cells don't recognize nutrients, and they can't take nutrients in, and they basically starve and die. Another theory… That's bizarre. It's, it's, this, it's insulin is a big driver in that. So high sugar diets, high carbohydrate diets, excessive consumption of food can actually promote deregulated nutrient sensing and it can actually accelerate the aging process dramatically. So that's, that's, that's very interesting. interesting. Yeah. So poor diet or too poor much diet sugar can have a very can profound, ap- more, than, more, than, more than you can ever imagine. Then we've got mitochondrial dysfunction. So inside every single cell, you've got this tiny little energy plant. And the cell functions off the energy produced by the plant. But the energy plant, in producing energy, produces waste products as well. And sometimes if the waste products accrue beyond its ability to clean them out, those energy plants get, become corrupted and die. But there's certain supplements, there's certain nutrients that you can take to actually offset that, which can kind of remedy that. But if those energy plants die, unfortunately, the cell becomes uh, weak and dies. We then got stem cell exhaustion is another theory. So it's four on the list of, of reasons why we age. So the body has these blank cells that can become a brain cell, that can become an, uh, a, a lip cell, a taste bud cell, you know, these blank cells that are produced in various sites in the body. Bone marrow is one of those um, that, that have this capacity to fill in the gap. Now, what happens is if you're drinking a lot, taking a lot of medications, uh, taking narcotics, like really abusing your liver, you know, the turnover rate will, instead of every four months in your liver, you're going to have to turn over your liver every three months or every two months. Eventually, you're going to run out of the ability to actually regenerate the liver in its thyroid. You'll be offering, operating on a, a, a lower number of cells in order to perform the same functions, which can be very stressful. But you're in the process, you'll be trying to recruit stem cells in order to create a regeneration process. And eventually, if the demands are so great and you're exhausting stem cells reserves, other areas will suffer and your whole kind of systemic integrity declines. They're also the sixth or um, the fifth. The fifth element in the aging process is cellular senescence. So basically, for no ex- explanation or no known reason, cells stop dividing. They just become completely dormant. We also have epigenetic alterations, number six on the list. So basically, these are factors in our environment that turn genes on or off. So you can turn on good genes, you can turn on bad genes based on you know, pollution based on, you know, kind of how much exercise you're doing, how well, the foods that you're eating. Our genes are very, very responsive to external cues. And those external cues can become, or could also be caused by hormonal fluctuation or alterations intrinsically. So that's, that's a very, very important factor. And this is why some people, you know, kind of, they don't come from, you know, their, their family don't necessarily live long, but they have exceptional longevity just because, you know, of epigenetics. They're just channeling their gene expression in the right direction based on on the decisions they're making in the course of their life, which is... And then what we have is two two factors. Altered intercellular communication. So cells stop communicating with each other, which is there's no known reason why cells stop communicating. And then there's something which is probably the most popular theory. This is the biological clock theory, and that is telomere attrition. So basically there's a loss of a particular segment of our DNA that happens over time, which I'll explain in, in far greater detail. So these are the big theories on aging. There's a lot of them. Some are relating to how cells basically become corrupted, collapse and die or stop working. And there's one theory that's saying that we have a biological clock and one, basically once time's up, time's up. 
So if one were to say, okay, so let's put a bottom line on this. These are all very complex theories. You know, I've taken the 300 theories. I've taken the top eight. Did you add the, bi- the biblical theory? <laughs> the, the, the Moshe. We can't live beyond no, Moshe. No, no, no. Um, Isaac. Uh, we're told that Isaac is the one who actually prayed that for aging. So because they saw that, or he saw, that people were not honoring Abraham. And so he said, we need to di- distinguish ourselves between one and the other so that my father can be honored. And he actually prayed for aging, and God saw that it was a good. I've learned something this morning. <laughs> <laughs> we can add it to the list. <laughs> Thank you for that. So, so getting back to, to you know, these, these complex theoretical models, let's, let me simplify it. Basically, it's accumulate. The principal driver of the aging process is the accumulation of genetic damage throughout life and poor reparative processes. That, in a nutshell, is, is what causes the aging process. Now, it's all about DNA. It's all about our genetic material. And if our genetic material gets damaged, it accelerates the aging process quite profoundly. And genetic damage can take many forms. Something, some, sometimes genetic damage can come through external means, you know, like radiation, you know, for x-rays and uh, cell phones and, you know, also in other environmental pollutants. Sometimes we're seeing intrinsic factors like mutations in our DNA, translocations of our DNA, um, the house, you know, kind of the, the, the home of our DNA, the chromosome becomes mutated in some way, shape, or form. You also have um, what science have discovered very recently is the integration of viruses into our DNA. They say wow. that on average, 8% of a genetic material is now corrupted by viruses. And this can explain possibly why certain people are more prone to certain diseases because those viruses are sitting in certain points within our genetic spectrum. Just waiting for a trigger. And, and corrupting that process. And uh, so there's there's a big that's a big move in that space, and it's actually very interesting. But, but it's quite scary because I mean, how do you treat it? You mm. can't treat a virus. Uh, no, because they're fragments of virus in our DNA. But actually, I mean, while while you are we on this point, they've actually found a fully intact uh, intact ancient virus on our DNA that, if woken up, would would be a- absolutely catastrophic. You know, so it's, at the moment it's dormant. It's sitting in certain people's DNA, um, and does it you know, have a name? Um, it's, I think it's TQ21. I might be wrong with the first letter, but it's yeah. Q21, and it could be TQ21. It's worth looking up. It's, it's actually quite scary. And some scientists want to wake it up and see what it does. But uh, please, God, they, they come to their centers and they don't go down that road. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. okay. Now, so, so it's really – okay, so now, now we're kind of uh, removing some, some of, of, of the theories even more, and we're saying, okay, so genetic damage is one of the primary reasons why we age, but it's a specific region of our DNA that if it becomes corrupt, is what creates the biological clock um, that limits our you know, kind of potential to live long. And it is also a major catalyst for disease. And that's all something called a telomere. Now, telomere is basically a segment of DNA. It's part of our DNA that sits on the ends of our chromosomes. So let me try and explain it simply. So we have cells. And inside the cell, you, you've got something called the nucleus, the middle of the cell. And inside that, you've got over a meter of genetic material. But that meter of genetic material is housed in chromosomes, so little homes for our genetic material. We've got 23 pairs of these chromosomes. And at the ends, on the tips of each of those chromosomes, you've got something called a telomere. Now, it has many functions, but basically it functions to organize the position of our chromosomes. So just make sure that all our, our DNA is in the right place at the right time, you know, and everyone works very, very well. But its principal role in the integrity of the human body is that it helps protect our DNA during replication. So when cells replicate and divide, 
it creates stability in that process. And if you have no stability in that, uh, that process, cells will die. Cells will become corrupted. You'll develop mutations. So essentially... You've got to look after those telomeres. The telomere is, is the foundation of proper cell replication. If we can't wow. re- reproduce cells, unfortunately, we, they become senescent and die. Now, normally what happens is that uh, during a normal replication process, you'll lose 20 units. It donates proteins. And basically, when it runs out of proteins, the cell can't replicate. The cell basically becomes senescent, dies, whatever. And that's basically at the point at which we can develop a disease or the point at which, like our life, kind of that's the, the end of the road for us. So the, the length of the telomere determines our health span and it determines our lifespan. And the normal replication process, you'll lose about 20 per time. And if everything went according to plan, you'd live to 120, 120 with the telomeres that we have you know, in the body. <laughs> but if we abuse ourselves and we promote inflammation, we promote free radicals, you can escalate this rate by at least 500%. So here we're accelerating our trajectory towards poor health and poor disease. And the interesting thing is that lifespan and health span and disease profiles are all linked to this telomere. So the shorter these telomeres, the more unstable these telomeres, the more prone you are to disease and the shorter you're going to live. And there was actually a 2010 study in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science where I'm actually going to quote this. Telomere length in humans is emerging as a biomarker of aging because its shortening is associated with age-related diseases and early mortality. And this is according to Yale's um, Stephen Stearns. So there's so many studies that have come out. All the major diseases, cardiovascular diseases, uh, autoimmune diseases, neurological diseases. The shorter your telomeres, the more prone you are to those diseases. The longer your telomeres, the longer you're going to live. And the more protection you have from diseases, that's that's basically the space that we're in. So have they looked at telomeres of young children versus telomeres of older people? Vast difference. So the more telomeres you have when you're younger, the longer you are going to live, according to the literature, which is very interesting. So, yes, children have longer telomeres. So when we're born, we're born with a certain number of telomeres. And as we get older, that shorten, 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 shorten until it reaches a critical point, and then the cell can't divide. The cell potentially dies or just becomes dormant. And then we either become ill in that specific region or the whole system, you know, the integrity of the system declines. But this, can, we, can we change that process? You can. And this was discovered by a team of researchers. Um, one of the researchers, actually three researchers, uh, Elizabeth Blackburn from Yale and Cambridge, Carol Greeter from John Hopkins, and Jack uh, uh, Stozak um, from Harvard. And they won the Nobel Prize for this in 2009. Basically, they discovered an enzyme that exists within our bodies that, when activated, can lengthen our telomeres. And restore them to full integrity. Right. Give us the name. Let's go to Diskim and get it. <laughs> well, there's a medication. There's a medication that you could take, but there's a risk. Because if you're activating this particular enzyme in a cancerous cell, it will potentiate its growth. So you can't just – you have to do it internally, intrinsically. You have to activate it through natural means because any time you activate this enzyme through natural means, you activate all the protection factors that remove cancer as an entity in the equation. So there is something called T8, um, telomerase activator 65, um, but there are concerns in terms of its uh, ability to induce cancer. But as I was saying, so here you've got this incredible team. They've won the the Nobel Prize for their research on telomeres, uh, a telomerase, this enzyme that activates, uh, that restores telomeres to full integrity. And of course, following that, there was an incredible study. And the study was in the journal Nature, and it was in 2010. 
Now, the study's objective was to determine whether entrenched multi-system degeneration in adult mice with severe telomere dysfunction can be halted or reversed by reactivation of this telomerase activity. So basically, they, they took mice, they genetically modified these mice to the extent where they stopped producing telomerase, this enzyme that protects our telomeres. So they made them short, 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 right? The telomeres became rapidly short. Basically, they became grandpa mice in no time whatsoever, you know, like wow. aged and decrepit mice because they had no telomerase at all. They then reactivated it in a lab, and what they found was absolutely remarkable. And obviously, you couldn't do this on humans, completely unethical, to say, okay, well, we're going to take your telomerase out and see how quickly you age and see if you'll ever come back from that point. But uh, I, mean, I still think it's unethical in animals, but uh, nevertheless, we got the data. So their findings was, was, was as, as I said, absolutely remarkable. The engineered mice... Age, as I said, age prematurely if they didn't have the telomerase. Uh, they became totally decrepit. And when they reactivated um, the telomerase, you looked at extended telomeres, restored DNA integrity, regeneration in the reproductive orders, re regeneration in the spleen, the home of the immune system, regeneration in the intestines, and most importantly, all the neurodegeneration, all the degeneration in the brain and the nervous system that took place as a result of a premature aging completely reversed That's in incredible. response to this, this particular enzyme. All right, so you've, you've used two terms that have... That's confusing me, and I'm sure it's confusing our listeners as well, Richard. Let me try and clarify. Telomeres versus telomerase. So telomere is this unit of genetic material. Yes. Okay, so it's basically it donates proteins every time our cells replicate okay. to protect our DNA. Telomerase is the enzyme that can help regrow oh. the telomere. Okay. Okay, so that's so the enzyme. So a great question, and I'm glad we've clarified that. All right. And my guest is uh, Richard Sutton. He is a neurovascular practitioner. He's a health educator. You can hear he really knows his stuff. He doesn't take on new patients. He uh, is incredibly, incre incredibly knowledgeable. We're talking about aging. And uh, if you've got any questions, then, you know, you've got access to him right here on High FM. So... How do you get in touch? Well, you can SMS on 34519. Alternatively, you can WhatsApp on 062-148-2374. Get in touch. Ask your questions. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up. Uh, you know, when it's time to wrap up, we've got to wrap up. So uh, send in your questions now because... Uh, then It's never simple. There's never a simple yes or no answer. And uh, if you want the proper answer... We need to give it the time. Okay, so get in touch. Okay, Richard, can we reverse the whole aging process? So I don't. I certainly think we can slow it down and we can promote health span. But I think there is a particular cap and we have to respect it. And that cap seems to be something called the Hayfleck limit at 120. But it's, it's not to say that we can't live exceptionally healthy lives, no dysfunction, whatever, almost follow the supercentenarian model where you don't have any ailments up until the 100, 105 mark. Oh, geez, isn't, that, isn't that optimum? Yeah, I mean, that's that what incredible? everybody wants. Exactly. And just maintaining that cognitive integrity is so important. Yeah. And if we are to do this, to simplify, one would have to do two, two things. One would have to limit exposure to foods, activities, or environments that increase cell division. So anything that damages our cellular makeup limit your exposure. The other thing is we'd have to encourage activities that science or evidence has shown 
can activate this telomerase and can extend our genetic material and protect our genetic material. And some of these include, you know, dietary uh, practices. Some of these include nutritional supplements. Uh, some of these include uh, certain types of exercise have been shown to be very effective. So that's, that's it summarized in a nutshell. But you also have to add on some other components to it. Things you know, like activities or nutrients that can promote um, integrity of those little energy supply centers in the cell, the mitochondria. So we have to kind of try and incorporate nutrients that can protect them um, in terms of promoting cellular structure and, and creating stability in our cells. There's certain things that we can do, especially on an exercise front, that can promote the integrity of the cells. So there's actually so much that we can do. And in fact, there's actually five, if, if I were to kind of summarize it in five categories, there's five different things that, or five different approaches we could take to this. So we've got diet and nutritional habits. And within that, Fasting, very powerful in terms of uh, uh, the protection of our genetic material and, and halting the aging process. How often should we fast? Don't I'm tell gonna, me twice I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to actually cover that in, in more detail this morning. But I would say you know, once or twice a week, but in a very specific way. So not in the Yom Kippur version where it's, you, there's abstinence, com- complete abstinence for 25 hours. It, it's a very different model, but I'll, I'll expound on that. So things like minimizing sugar. Sugar promotes inflammation. Uh, inflammation is, is part of the cascade of the aging and disease proce- process. Meal size reduction. Eating too much causes inflammation, causes digestive distress. Um, not, you know, less than natural products. Again, complexities in the digestive system can accelerate the aging process. Sticking to an ancestral diet, things that our genetic material is accustomed to, knows, and thrives um, uh, thrives with is, is important in the aging process. And even possibly for many people, the elimination of gluten actually might be very positive in promoting long-term health and protection from aging. And yet ancestors ate wheat. They ate a version of wheat has been changed over the, you know, I think there's 20,000 cultivars of wheat and it's been engineered to be robust in terms of drought resistant, heat resistant. So the gluten content has changed. We need to talk about GMOs. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's We can certainly dedicate time to that. Um, Okay. So then moving off the diet and nutritional um, habits, going to nutrients. There's certain nutrients that the evidence shows very, very clearly have a very positive effect on health span. Omega-3 fatty acids have become very deficient in our diet at this particular point in, in our, in our history vitamin d you know we're looking at the vast you know one in in south africa we live in south africa vitamin d no you will be absolutely shocked how many people are vitamin d deficient one in seven uh people globally are vitamin d deficient the only time you can really reproduce or produce vitamin d from the sun is between the hours of 10 and 3 without sun cream so most of us are going into the sun before 10, after 3 with sun cream. So we're not producing any vitamin D, but that's, that's a topic unto its own. I'd like to actually talk about that. Um, things like anthrocyanins, you know, in blueberries and blackberries and cacao, you have these, these compounds which promote vitality and protect you from aging. In terms of their effect on telomeres, our genetic, they actually promote genetic stability. Uh, there's a supplement called acetylcarnitine, which I'll expand on it in another show. Um, and acetylcysteine can promote, uh, you know, an anti-aging effect. Coenzyme Q10, magnesium, phosphatidylserine, alpha-lipoic acid, and zinc. These are all supplements that we can put into our routine at a specific point in time that can actually promote DNA integrity and promote health and vitality. Then we've got exercise, which can is… You, can you share a list with me that I, I can, can post up? 
on our Facebook page, on the Chayefim Facebook page, of the supplements with all the different things that we should be or could be taking. I, I, I would love to do that, but I think we should go over the supplements in terms of their effect, their dosage, the dangers first, because it's not as simple as just take this and that will, that will, the outcome would be as follows. These, these things all, I mean, these nutraceuticals are powerful. Uh, there was actually a study that looked at liver damage and it found that 35 was in the journal hepatotoxicity and, uh, or Something, something along that lines. And what they found was 35% of liver damage actually comes from nutraceuticals. You know, kind of just people going to the store and just pulling off the shelf and not thinking about it. Nutraceuticals can be very powerful in their effects on health, but they can also be antagonistic to health if they're taken in, you know, excess and also misprescribed. Mis, uh, very, very interesting. All right, so uh, we've got to take a quick break. But if you've missed all the details, I'm speaking to Richard Sutton. My name is Kathy Kayla. Richard is a neurovascular practitioner. He's a health educator. He, um, he has consulted with some of the world's top athletes. And uh, he doesn't take new patients. So here's the thing. We're going to be wrapping up about... Uh, more or less 10 minutes from now. You've got 10 minutes to get your questions and your comments through. How do you do it? Get in touch. 34519. That's the SMS line. Those SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. Alternatively, you can WhatsApp on 062-148-2374. And uh, please sign your name to your messages so that you know we can identify you. Thank you so much for joining me for this Discam Medical Monday program. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. I'm Kathy Kaler. Thank you so much for joining me for this Discam Medical Monday program. Very special guest in studio. And uh, we're speaking to neurovascular practitioner and health educator Richard Sutton. Uh, if you want to check out what else he has to say, go and check out his website. Um, it is suttonhealth.co.za. Uh, lots of information there, lots of uh, programs that we've done in the past. Especially go and check out... Uh, the one that we did on immune systems that was com- just completely blew my mind that you have a nerve from your stomach to your brain and that because uh, all of a sudden I got it. You know, your diet can have a huge impact on your mental health. Anyhow, that's a whole nother story because another today story. we're talking about aging. And I'm um, asking if we can turn back the clock we can, on aging. Absolutely. So, again, diet and nutritional habits, specific nutrients, certain types of exercise. Not all exercise can turn back the aging and can promote uh, the health process. Environmental factors are... Growth hormone. It's all about growth hormone, exactly. So those activities that do spike growth hormone have a much more profound effect on on health span and and can can result in a a protection from disease. Uh, Environmental factors, very, very powerful influence, becoming more and more of an issue. And then the number one factor in telomere attrition basically the breaking down of these stabilizing units at the ends of our chromosomes that determine how long we're going to live and how healthy we're going to be. The number one factor is stress. So cortisol and adrenaline actually have a very negative effect on our telomeres. And uh, that's that's a topic unto itself. It's actually a series unto itself. The corporate this, environment, the corporate one of the most envi- toxic environments you can possibly mm. be in. I think, did you ever see that research? I mean, you, you deal with a this lot is, of research yeah, all is, the time. But um, there was research that was released that said for every year sooner than retirement age that you leave the corporate environment, you gain five years of life. 
Did you ever see that? No, that's just quite a dramatic. Uh, well, <laughs> but uh, I'd, how, I'd have to read it to. But if to you think buy. about how corporates were no, twenty it's, years it's, ago versus how they are now, yeah, I think. It's completely valid. But we've got to be in that environment. We've got to earn a living, and this is the nature of the world. And it's not about avoidance. It's about resilience. There's many things that we can do to, to promote resilience. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's – uh, stress is uh, my favorite topic. And so I'm actually almost finished the book on the, the topic and give a lot of corporate seminars on stress and stress resilience. But I'm not um, of the opinion that you must avoid stress. You actually have to embrace stress. Stress can be – Liberating can be healthy. Um, can propel it can be, you into action. Exactly, propel mm-hmm. you to action. All successes are normally uh, attributed or associated with stress. I think it's a, it's an important mindset to have. But there's certain things that we have to incorporate into our lives to protect us from the harmful effects of chronic stress. And it's actually not difficult. Certain adaptations here and there, and you you won't believe uh, the the positive outcomes. But again, we'll we'll get back to that. So at how the do we know stage. what what is good stress and bad stress? It's, I think it's top I mean, gun to yourself. No, 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 no. Uh, no good I'm stress, not good stress. Okay, good, okay, good stress. You just, just told us no, it's, quick. it's the number uh, one thing that ages us and that reduce and, and increases the breakdown of those telomeres. And then you say, no, no, no it's another topic. It's no, another topic. Know. Got to keep, got to, got to keep people, uh, <laughs> got to keep people hanging. Okay, good stress is acute stress, short bursts of stress, not protracted. Bad stress is chronic stress, where you've turned on the stress, uh, the two stress axes, and you haven't turned them off. So it's just these long extended periods of stress that wears your system down. Short bursts of stress actually liberate, you know, so many positive biological uh, uh, aspects and responses. So how do we know how stressed we are? <laughs> let's let's do a show of stress. <laughs> how about okay, that? How about good. that? Okay, next okay, month I'm, so, I'm booking you okay. now. Okay, great, great. We're going to talk stress. So, okay, so in terms of the literature and looking at health outcomes, so everything I've described today is evidence-based. So there there are studies on everything I've I've, I've discussed and talked about, all these different categories. But one of the areas that is showing the most promise in terms of life expectancy and most importantly, health span, freedom from disease, is actually fasting, the limitation of food. You know, so, so when you say, what should I do from a dietary perspective, actually cut back a little bit on food. There's actually more than 4,000 studies on the topic. Now, fasting is not something that you have to do for 25 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours. That's not fasting. That's, that's serious deprivation. Fasting is basically defined as minimal food or caloric beverages for a period of 12 hours. So break, breakfast, you know, breakfast. Okay, so that 12-hour period. And when we basically abstain from food for certain periods of time, the ideal amount of time seems to be around 16 to 24 hours. That's really where we get maximum gain with no downside. Several very strong biological processes occur. So one of the big biological processes is hormonal changes. So we get these big r- ramping up of growth hormone, more insulin sensitivity, lower insulin production. These are big factors in the aging process, mm-hmm. and especially telomere integrity. Growth hormone actually facilitates the length of telomeres. Low growth hormone, short telomeres. High growth hormone, intact telomeres. And we're seeing that as we age, just from a growth hormone perspective, for every decade beyond 20, we lo- our production of growth hormone shuts down by 14%. Wow. So for every decade. And in some individuals, you, in your 50s, you're producing 10% of what you did when you're in your 30s. And for some individuals over 60, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't produce any growth hormone. 35% of people over 60 don't produce any growth hormone whatsoever. And they're 
acceleration or the trajectory towards ill health and disease is has ramped up um, extraordinarily. I mean, it's, it's is that where mindset comes in? Because I've met people who are old in their twenties and already world weary and and tired of life in their twenties, and I've met eighty year olds who are still wanting to <coughs> climb mountains and do the most incredible things, and they still have this. This zest for life. So mindset is very powerful, and there's, I mean, there's no question that the our perception of things determines how they affect us. So if we have this positive perception, things affect us generally positively. But this being said, that mindset is based on the stress axis, something called the HPA axis, the communication between the brain and the adrenal glands and how much cortisol and how much adrenaline is produced in that uh, in that process. So mindset, you know, some people are much more stressed generally in life and that can create this corrosion of our telomeres. So getting back to fasting, fasting, very positive effect on growth hormone. In fact, there's been several studies showing that a 24-hour fast, so abstinence from food but not from fluids, can spike growth hormone levels by 2,000%. That was Benjamin Horn from the University of Utah's School of Medicine. <laughs> Only coffee for me tomorrow. <clears throat> no, okay, but not too much coffee because that can spike insulin. Okay, so one or two cups, fine, but not okay, too much. So more. when you say liquids, um, you know, if you go Green teas, to- matcha teas, uh, coffee in moderation, nothing that will change your insulin profile. So nothing that's caloric, but you can have as much fluid as you want in the day. It's just basically an abstinence of food for about 16-hour period. And here you're starting to see these big biological shifts and the first is in growth hormone output they found that if you're fasting for more protracted periods of time you know so you're looking at 48 uh, 48 hours on a stretch your overall growth hormone output not just a single spike will be 500 percent higher so a very very powerful effect on growth hormone but more profoundly fasting influences insulin very positively now insulin has been why it's a lot of scientists believe that insulin is one of the major drivers in the aging and disease process so most most disease might have its root in a, a lack of sensitivity to insulin now fasting makes us more sensitive to insulin in fact there was a study that showed that uh, people who fast on a regular basis actually have i think it was a 20 uh, an 18% greater degree of insulin sensitivity and more importantly their overall insulin production dropped by 20 to 31% according to to certain data um, this was uh, these, this was a study in the Journal of Translational Research in 2014, and the other study um, in terms of insulin sensitivity was in the Journal of Applied Physiology. Very powerful effect. So fasting, automatically we've got growth hormone up, we've got insulin levels down, a very positive profile in terms of health and youth. We then and also have reset. A, a, like a an absolutely button. great recalibration but you don't want to do it too often but if you think about it it's just logic so if we go back into our ancestral part our whole genetic material is not designed for here it's not designed for the world that we create in the last 60, 70, 80 years you don't it, have to work for anything it, basically it, you don't it, have to run and chase after a it, cow in order to get the milk you just our environment is so different yeah. and our genetic material hasn't kept it can't change by much it can change by only a fraction of percentage every few thousand years fraction of a percentage so our genetic material is designed to the environment that we grew up in, you know, 5,000 years, 4,000 years ago. It was a hostile environment. And in that environment, there were periods where we didn't have food. But in those periods, if we weren't in a robust physical state, through these spikes in growth hormone, through the insulin sensitivity, we wouldn't get more food. We had to actually be better than we were prior to that semi-starvation phase. So it's, it's the body's way of saying, okay, you know, we'll make a plan. Things are tough at the moment. Let's ramp up. 
um, biological integrity. But another thing that, uh, that happens in response to fasting is the activation of cellular repair processes. So there's several cellular repair processes that take place. And, and you know, one of them is, uh, is something called autophagy. Now, autophagy is basically a process by which the body removes debris, like uh, parts that are not uh, effective, and it can actually remove viruses and microorganisms from the body. And like when we go into a state of fasting, and most, the most remarkable thing is that this autophagy is activated, and we basically start cleaning out our cellular makeup. Yes, because the body doesn't have to expend any energy to break down any on, food. Possibly on food, but also we need to function. Again, getting back to the point, we need to function better. And that is why this autophagy comes into effect. But there's also not only do, is this there's this this autophagy that that gets activated in response or the cellular activation process. We have something called FOXO3. I mentioned it earlier. One of the three genes that we know to promote lifespan, health span, and protect us from diseases. Fasting activates FOXO3. So fasting activates FOXO3, and FOXO3 in turn activates stress-resistant genes. Remember, stress is the biggest trigger in the aging and disease process. FOXO3 can negate that. It also upregulates antioxidant activity. So antioxidants are one of the causes for that accelerated telomere attrition. Remember that hmm. you know you're losing 20 base points per division now with anti with the free radicals. You now can go up 500 percent. You can lose 120 base points per division. But FOXO3 activates these protection mechanisms. It also promotes DNA repair. So it activates telomerase, and it activates genes that kill tumor cells. This right, so now that the whole of Johannesburg <coughs> is only on a liquid diet tomorrow that will not influence or impact your your insulin profile, which means that if you're going to have coffee, have it in moderation, don't have it with sugar. Don't have anything that's going to uh, influence your your. Yeah, so and then we'll all be young. Is that what well, you're saying? We'll, we'll certainly slow down the aging process and protect ourselves from disease. But it's not as simple. There's nothing as cut and dry as do this and that's the outcome. You have to, you know, if someone has an eating disorder, I certainly wouldn't be encouraging fasting. I really wouldn't. Okay, that, that's a group that should not be fasting. Pregnant women should not be fasting. People with adrenal disorders really? and kid, yeah. And kidney disorders shouldn't be fasting. Even even on a on a liquid diet. No, I, I wouldn't say so. You know, I, I would I would say this. It's it's very applicable to a certain particular a certain profile, but I wouldn't say it applies to everyone. And the more you do it, the better it's going to be. So it's you know if you if you go back to ancestral bars, we weren't in a starvation. Well, you know if we were, you know please God we weren't, but we weren't in the starvation state on a continuous basis. So it's it's very effective when done. Very sporadically, so once or twice a week, highly effective. You do it more than that, becomes less effective. But, you know, I've just given two things. I've said upregulation of this gene. But a lot of uh, science has shown is that it also upregulates the sirtuin family, so a series of proteins. And what these proteins do is manage the stress responses. Again, stress is the biggest trigger in genetic instability. Sirtuins manage that process. also controls inflammation. The vast majority of diseases today, the vast – in fact, if I were to say what are the three things that cause all of these factors in the aging process, something called glycation, where sugars bond to proteins and fats, oxidation, with free radicals, and inflammation. So if you can control glycation, inflammation, and oxidation, you control the aging process in those eight things that I described and discussed in detail. Absolutely fascinating. We have to wrap up because uh, I see our culture vulture has already walked through the door. She's, uh, she's ready to tell everybody about what's happening in the world of entertainment but uh, 
Richard, thank you so much. Oh, we, we've got to get you on at here. least once a month. To I, talk I would about love to do things. this as a series. Um, so you let's know, so, do it. So let's maybe every second week, you know, just every carry on. Every second week, that's a treat. <laughs> <laughs> every second week or so, just carry on along the stream and, and just go into all these subsections, which are so interesting. Richard, very, very quickly, um, Hannah says, um, what is your feeling about Manatech? Do you know what Manatech is? No. I don't. Okay. So I can't have a feeling. Okay. (laughs) There we go. I'm so sorry. There we go. Apparently, it's supposed to increase cell communication. But uh, that theoretically would be unbelievable because it's one of the eight factors in the aging process. So anything that can improve, that has a scientific basis to it, that can improve, you know, intercell communication, fantastic. If it hasn't got, you know, hasn't got research to substantiate it, I'd be wary until there is research to to substantiate it. But on principle, based on that as a concept, I think it should be a positive thing. Listen, thank you so much for coming, Uh Richard Sutton, and thank you so much for joining me. If you've missed any part of this, Richard gives over so much information that uh, sometimes you've got to listen to what he has to say three or four times. Um, And each time you listen to one of these talks, you get more and more that you're able to actually glean from uh, from the information that he gives off or gives out. So uh, if you've missed anything, get to our website. It's chaifm.com, C-H-A-I-F-M.com, and uh, you'll be able to download the podcasts there. Please do that. Otherwise, uh, go check out his website. It's suttonhealth.co.za, S-U-T-T-O-N. H-E-A-L-T-H dot C-O dot Z-A. Thank you so much. Thank you to my guest, Richard Sutton, neurovascular practitioner, health educator, and uh, translator from the plant. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. And to you, I wish you a wonderful week. God bless. Stay well. See you same time, same place next week. Bye. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacist who care.